As a change maker, you're dedicated to making a positive difference in the world. You love what you do and you're good at it. But here's the thing, with all the things on your plate, you may struggle with finding the right balance between work and having a fulfilling personal life. And as the world becomes more complex, it may seem change, disruption, and uncertainty have become new norms in your life and work. But it doesn't have to be this way. I'm Miko Marquette Whitlock, and I'm on a mission to help change makers like you improve your well being while increasing your well doing and changing the world without burning out. In every episode, my intention is simple to share practical wisdom about the inner and the outer work required to take care of yourself while building a better world, especially when it feels like work doesn't love you back. So let's get started. I am here with one of my favorite people, one of my favorite clients, and we're going to tell you a little bit about who she is. And I think have what I know is going to be an exciting and inspiring conversation for so many of you change makers out there who are listening. So we have with us today, Mary Kaiser. Uh, her current role is as Senior Director of Development, Planning, Innovation, and Operations at the World Wildlife Fund. I know that is a mouthful, and so we will explain what that is and what that entails in terms of the day-to-day. But before we do that, let me just welcome you, Mary, to the podcast. Hello. It's great to talk to you, Miko, and to see you again. Awesome. Likewise, I'm excited to have you here with us to talk about your journey as a change maker, what you're currently doing, and what is next for you on your journey. And one of the ways that I really love to kick off this conversation is we gave people a snippet by giving them your official title right now. But I think we are much more than that. And so I love to ask people as we kick off these conversations, if you could tell people in your own words, who is Mary? What do you want people who are listening to the podcast to know about you? When I think about that, Miko, and about my journey over the years, it has been really about making just what you say, right? Making change in a world, in the world leaving it a better place than I found it. And when I got into development many years ago, accidentally, the way most of us people do, I felt like this was something I could do every day. I could work for a nonprofit, wake up every day, almost regardless of what my actual role was and feel good about what I was doing. My college friends were all in marketing. They were all like, making ad campaigns for soap and Pepsi and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't get into that, but getting up every day and making a difference for somebody or for the entire world, that was something I could believe in. And that has really stood the test of time. It's really kept me focused. Awesome. So it sounds like you are a change maker at heart and you've been focused on, in the broadest sense, making the world a better place. And I love what you said about really being dedicated to leaving the world better then you found it. With that, let's talk about the start of your journey, which I think is a really fun question. I love to ask this question, really about your first real job ever. However you define real, we can put real in quotation marks. But I'm curious if you can think back to your first real job ever, and if you can recall what that was, can you share that with us in the audience? Yeah, my first real job, actually, if I had followed that, would have taken me on a completely different path. I worked for a magic shop. 
when I was in <laughs> when I was when I was in high school and I was the one who rigged the card decks and made the tricks and got to know all these great magicians from all over the world. That was probably that was my first job and probably my most fun job. But I'm not a magician. I never learned how to do the tricks. I knew how to make the tricks, but I didn't know how to do the tricks. It was just not a talent of mine. But my first job in nonprofits and in development, I literally, it was one of those accidental things where I was in college, I needed a work study job so I could pay for college. And I was mad and I walked into the financial aid office and I'm like, where's my work study job? And they're like, oh, I don't know, development is hiring. They're upstairs. Go see what they got. So I walked into development. They needed somebody to file things and shred things. When I learned uh, there, I learned all about donors. I learned about corporate giving. I learned about plan giving. I learned about major giving. I learned how to shred and file. No, I did not learn how to file things. I still don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I learned about prospect research, like all the different things I was there the whole time that I was in college. And And then the connections I had there helped me get my first job out of college. In development, I've been in it ever since. It's not a rocket science. It's not a rocket science kind of field. It's all about relationships. And if you're good at that, you can do development. But it has allowed me to, it's allowed me to really focus on the things that are important in my life. One is making change and the other is family. Awesome. Okay. So hopefully we'll have we'll have some time to talk a little bit about that on the personal side. But I, I love this. So you started out in magic. <laughs> I'm going to describe it as you started out in magic. Not really good at it, but really good at the behind the scenes and putting the, the tricks mm-hmm. together. And then I'm guessing that may come in handy when you're planning like fundraisers and things like that in terms of talent. And I don't, yeah, I don't I, I don't, so. be kind of fun. <laughs> no, not at all. No. <laughs> all right. So you started out in magic and then you found your way in college, stumbled upon by accident or were directed there, literally go upstairs to development. And that was the start of the journey that you've been on. So can you bring us forward to where you are right now in your professional journey? How would you describe how you're currently making an impact professionally? An important part of the journey is that it was really, I really chose it very specifically because I knew with this particular field, this fundraising field, it's the borders are very fluid. You can get in and out of it. And having a family was also really important to me. And I could see that going into this field, I could go part-time for a while. I could drop out for a while when I was raising my kids, if I wanted to, and get back without losing too much steam. And that really happened for me. So I had a a number of years when I was working at some great organizations and really learning from really great people in Chicago, and then started having a family and dropped part-time, became a consultant, working from home long before working home from home was a thing. I had a fax machine in my office, Miko. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't even know what a fax machine is, I bet. <laughs> I, know what I, I bought my mom one for actually for Mother's Day because she's old school. She? <laughs> <laughs> she's old school. Yeah, that's what you <laughs> So then one of my clients along the way was a local organization, local environmental organization, that was focused on the forest preserves in and around Chicago, which are really an incredible asset for such a big metropolitan city. And that's the point I was at that I was like, wait a minute, I had worked in the arts, I had worked in higher ed, I had I had worked in a couple of the other sectors. 
And once I started to see the case for nature and environment and the extent that it was under threat, I realized that is really, that's the issue that I care most about. That I feel like everybody on earth actually needs to be working on this issue right now. Everybody who's alive right now needs to be working on this issue. Otherwise, it's lost. It's lost. We're all lost. It's not just nature that is lost, but as nature is lost, then we are lost too. So if we care about humanity at all, then we need to care about the environment. And so that's when I started to open to more to organizations that are really focused on this. So that's ultimately how I moved my way into World Wildlife Funded, worked at another, a few other environmental orgs, and then um, finally came here. And I've been um, here for about 10 or 12 years. It used to be an organization that was very focused on species, saving species. But um, even in the time since I've been there, it has shifted its impact, understanding that we can do all we want to save the polar bears, but if we don't save the Arctic, the polar bears are doomed no matter what we do. So it's really started to, not started, but really working hard on the underlying issues that have to do with climate, environmental change, habitat loss, and the way that humans use land and water. That So saving all of those things will save the species, but will also save nature for all of us. It will save us as a species. I think that is such an important point that you make. And so I'm curious, as you talk about your current role, there's a lot in there. There's planning, there's innovation, operations. So what exactly does that mean? So development, planning, innovation, operations really is about development work. It's about the infrastructure under, under development work. And it's my first role ever where I haven't had a fundraising goal. I've done a bunch of different kinds of development work before. I am not directly involved in asking for money from donors. I am involved in making sure that the people on my team who are doing that have what they need to get it done well and efficiently and without having to worry about kind of the systems, the soft systems and the hard systems underneath them to make, make that work easier. So operations really is, is really a big part of what I do and innovation. <laughs> I, I think it was the magic background that sort of threw that in. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe America that, is the magic. <laughs> maybe that's where the maybe that's where the magic comes in, is in the innovation. I never thought about that. Thanks, Miko. <laughs> You're very welcome. So let me ask you this. You've had a long career in development, you mentioned across different sectors, and you talked about how you got specifically focused on nature and the environment. I'm wondering across that career, if there's one particular project or initiative that really stands out to you as something that you're particularly proud of that you want to call people's attention to. That's a lot lately because I've, there's a, a couple of things I'm involved in at World Wildlife Fund right now that I'm leading and facilitating right now that, that harken way back to something I did at the Art Institute of Chicago because it's all about getting people in different departments to cooperate and collaborate with each other. So at the Art Institute of Chicago, the biggest um, exhibition ever, and I was there working on it, was that one. It's a poster from the Claude Monet exhibition, which was in 1995. And we didn't have a marketing department. 
because we were a museum. We don't have to market things. We never market pirate. But still, we had all of these departments that had to collaborate together to get this great big thing to happen. So we had membership, which I was doing. We had visitor services. We had museum shop. We had the, the PR people. We had the vice presidents. We had the operations people in the room, <coughs> even the security people, to make sure that we could handle the exhibition physically and also attract as many people as possible to this thing. And as a junior person, I led this collaborative team and we had an outstanding success that was even bigger than the museum had expected. And I've taken the lessons from that time about leadership, about energy, about personality, and I'm applying it now at, at World Wildlife Fund on a couple of different a couple of different projects. Number one, to make sure our all our fundraisers from different departments are collaborating around our biggest parts of work and doing that in a methodical way as opposed to a ad hoc way. It does happen, but it happens in an ad hoc way. And so I'm facilitating something that happens more methodically and systemically. And then I'm also facilitating an operations project that nobody sees. It has to do with gift administration. Nobody sees except for our donors. And so we're doing that right. Our donors are feeling properly appreciated and thanked. But organizationally, it's something that's quite invisible. But without that key operational piece, we're not raising enough money, right, then to fund all the conservation work that we're doing over here. That kind of happens a lot. Like what I do is invisible. And yet without it, the relationships that keep the engine running and growing as big as it can be wouldn't be happening. I think that's critically important because a lot of folks that are listening and a lot of change makers, not, not everyone is doing front facing work or mm -hmm. doing direct services or doing the type of work that's going to land your profile on certain, certain media outlets, right? But it's important nonetheless. And so I think it's important for people to hear from folks like you about their journey behind the scenes. And I'm going to, again, I, I just, I love this magic. <laughs> and so I'm going to say you're doing the magic behind the scenes to keep things moving and it's really the infrastructure, right? That we, the, the invisible infrastructure that we sometimes take for granted right. um, that really makes it possible for a, a lot of the great work that other folks are doing. Let me ask you this. So as part of your journey, really any journey in life in general, I think when we have conversations like this and when we think about personal social media, people have a tendency to put forward the highlights, right? You, you, we, we see the highlights and we think that is all that, people's lives are all about, but we know that that's not necessarily the case, right? We have points in between and the journey isn't always a straight line or sort of a smooth upward trajectory. So I'm curious for you in your journey, I'm assuming that there have been ups and there have been downs. And so how do you stay inspired? How do you stay motivated in the midst of that? Um, well, I don't always, right? Mm -hmm. You're not always motivated. There are times in your life because of various reasons where it feels like you're not making any difference, like you can't take it another day. I work even when I'm not motivated because the work is important. And I guess maybe that's actually a good question. One of the other things <clears throat> actually that's underlined is in my work as a consultant and also now I'm pulling it into my staff work 
is even if I can't see the mission and my way to the mission, what I can see is trying to make somebody else's job a little easier. And when you're doing operations and infrastructure, that's what you're doing. You're trying to make you're trying to make Beth's job easier. You're trying to make Grant's job easier. And kind of it's kind of that one-on-one piece. When you've lost the big picture, it's the one-on-one piece, paying attention to those tiny improvements that you can make for somebody else that you value that can pull you through the hard times. I think that is that's so powerful. And first of all, I just want to appreciate you for for being vulnerable. I think that when we have these conversations, sometimes it's we feel like we don't have permission to say that all is not well sometimes. Yeah. Right. And we feel like we have to put forward a certain face and pretend like things are okay when they might not necessarily be okay. And so I think it's important for people to understand that you're not alone if if you've had that experience or you're in that place right now. And then you gave us two ways for you that are work that have worked for you to keep moving forward. Right. It sounds like one is sometimes you're able to see a clear line between what you're doing and the mission that you're serving, right? Mm-hmm. But it also sounds like sometimes that's not always clear. And that's not always a direct line that you can sometimes there's stuff in the way. And that gives you an opportunity to take a step back and say, okay, what's the small thing that I can do to make the person next to me or the, or the person that I'm in direct connection with to make their life, to make their work a whole lot easier? I appreciate that because it also, in terms of change making and leadership, it also points to the fact that we can all be a leader or a change maker, whatever role, whatever level we are in the work or in our organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. It's time for a break. We'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsors. Change makers like you are driven to do more and more, often with fewer and fewer resources. But there comes a breaking point where your passion dwindles under the weight of pressure the mission suffers, and you feel like you love the work more than it loves you back. That's why I wrote the book, How to Thrive When Work Doesn't Love You Back, a practical guide for taking care of yourself while changing the world with a forward by Beth Cantor, author of the Happy Healthy Nonprofit. This book is a succinct, practical, and action-based guide for change makers seeking to make an impact without burnout. Learn more and order your copy at mindfulchangemaker.org slash books. That's mindfulchangemaker.org slash books. The reality is if you really want to make a difference, you must start by taking time for yourself right now because you can't change the world if you're not around long enough to make that happen. This isn't about working harder and smarter. It's about making a commitment to work differently so you can take care of yourself while making an impact for the long haul. In How to Thrive and Work Doesn't Love You Back, I share practical strategies grounded in the well-being while well-doing change framework. And I wrote this book after experiencing more than my fair share of burnout and overwhelm in the name of saving the world during my previous career in government and nonprofit work. I share what I've learned to be the most impactful strategies for my personal practice and my experience helping change makers around the world just like you create lasting balance in their lives. These are the same strategies I teach teams and organizations through my live trainings, self-paced courses, coaching programs, and tools like the Intention Planner. Each chapter has a summary of key ideas and a checklist of practices you can start implementing right away. I know you need practical strategies and resources to help you create sustained balance in your life and work so you can lower your stress level 
and focus on getting the important things done right now. So this book isn't about theoretical concepts. It's about what to do and how to do it. Learn more and order your copy at mindfulchangemaker.org books. That's mindfulchangemaker.org books. All right, let's get back to our conversation. Is this um, particular way of thinking about what I'm calling staying inspired and staying motivated, is this something that you talk about explicitly with your team? You know, and you're in a leadership role where you're managing lots of folks. So is this the conversation that you have with your team about how you keep moving when things get tough? So funny that you asked that because, Miko, I don't know if you remember, I don't have a team. I don't have direct reports. I don't have any direct mm. reports. <clears throat> So nobody reports to me, but at the same time, everybody reports to me. So I live in a role where I facilitate work in the division, our development division among departments. And so when I need somebody to help me with a retreat, as you remember, or with a planning exercise or facilitation exercise, I can call on anybody and everybody. But no, actually, this is maybe the first time with you that I have articulated this as a way to keep going. I know it in my head and talk about it in my head to myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't, doesn't help very much there, though. <laughs> no, I, I think that's very powerful. I think we, we all have to have our own practices. Otherwise, like we wouldn't, it wouldn't be, the work wouldn't be sustainable for us. And mm-hmm. so I think it's, I think it's great that you have, there's an acknowledgement somewhere of what's working for you and what you're leaning into when those tough times come. So expanding on this particular point, I want to talk about balance. And I'm going to use the frame of work-life balance because I feel like that's a commonly shared language that we understand whether you agree with the framing or not, or you have a different way of thinking about it. We all know what we mean to some extent when we talk about work-life balance. So you mentioned couple of times that family was very important for you and that you have made adjustments throughout your career to based on season of life to accommodate your work and your life and I'm curious if you can maybe describe how you're doing that now what does that look like in terms of whatever balance is for you how do you maintain that balance so that you're not you know, driving yourself crazy and overwhelmed by work, but you're also making time for the things that you love to do outside of work, including spending time with family. Let's dig in. This is actually really important. I've actually advised a number of my own professional colleagues over the years about this because I was a consultant early on and and it was about family. (laughs) But the first thing I want to say, Nico, because I know that you're going to have, we have a lot of parents on this. Yeah. Um, is that I don't actually believe in work-life balance. I don't think balance is possible. I think, especially when you have children at home, it's not a balance. It's a tug of war. And so once I framed that for myself, I stopped worrying about not having balance. I didn't have balance in the early years. I have four children. I couldn't have had four children if I didn't make the decisions that I did early in my career about being in this career, 
about stepping back and becoming a part-time consultant, about my husband also being part-time and freelance in his role, right? So we shared childcare responsibilities. We were conscious about the fact that we couldn't both work in our ways without having additional childcare support. You cannot work from home with your children and not have additional support because it's not fair to your work and it's not fair to your children. We both have made compromises in the way our careers have gone as a result. I am not as far ahead in my career as I would have been if I had taken a straight line full-time course. I'm not making as much money as I could have made. He's not making as much money as he could have made in a different career than what he chose. It's a tug of war. You don't get to have everything. You make choices. Am I happy with those choices? Absolutely, I'm happy. My children are grown. They are beautiful people. They are kind. They can make their own way in the world. I have taught them this. I have taught them both consciously and unconsciously by the way that they see me operate in the world. I am as proud of them as I am of my work. And that's an important point, right? Think about that. I am as proud of them as I am of my work. The work is the piece choosing to work while I was raising my children was all about me and the contribution that I needed to make in the world. And that's maybe where you see something about balance is it's the balancing of the contribution. It's not the balancing of the time. There is no balancing of the time. There's not enough time. There's not enough time to do all of it in the way and with the extent and the commitment that you want to have. Where I am now is that my children are grown and I can devote more time to my career if I want to. I can devote more time to something else in my life. I'm at the inflection point where I'm looking at the next 30 years of my life, 10 to 20 years of a career And I get to pick what I want now. Like all of my life up until then has been more or less decided by cultural norms, right? There's the school years that go all up to college. Then you're a young person. Then they're established your career years. Then you get married. Then they're the raise your children years. All that's done. What do I do now? I haven't gotten that. I haven't, I don't have that answer yet, but it's exciting to have options. Yes. And I love what you shared. And I think it's especially important for folks that are working parents or if you're a caregiver in some other form or some other type of season of life where you have competing obligations that you have to quote unquote balance with professional life. Right. And I love what you shared in terms of the way way I'm thinking about it is that you've moved through different seasons of life and there are choices that you've had to make in those different seasons of life. And they're part of those choices mean you've made trade-offs or uh, you used to wear compromises, right? That in order to be able to show up in one place for your family, that you're going to have to perhaps give a little less in another area. I also heard you share that you're fortunate to have a partner in this. Yeah. Right? And you were able to, you were all, sounds like you all were communicating and had a shared sense of how to do this. And so that can be super helpful. And it sounds like you also had 
extra childcare support. Yeah, we had, we always had a baby, usually a part-time babysitter because we were sharing responsibilities and roles and time. Our schedules um, overlapped. They overlapped, but they did not coincide. So yeah. there was the, the early day parent and the late day parent. Yes. And the final thing I'll say is, which I, I think is probably the most important for folks that are looking for a place to start that are struggling with this is simply an acknowledgement and an acceptance that in the way that you describe it, there, it, there, there may not be balance, right? And that that's okay. And you can do the best you can with what you have mm-hmm. in the season of life that you find yourself in and relieve some of that pressure, I think, that we put on ourselves to get an A plus <laughs> across right. the board and all right. the categories. No, <laughs> that's, that's a great point, right? What I just, you remember what I just said? So I talked about how my children are turning out beautifully. My young adults are turning out beautifully. And yet I can think back to when I was raising them and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm this one's not getting enough of this. And I wasn't there in this way for that person at this time. And I regret that I regret this. So actually it's okay. <laughs> like where I'm sitting back and looking at maybe I wasn't the parent that I would have wanted to be in all the moments. They are the children that I was hoping for them to be. More they are more yes. than I hoped for them to be. And I think that is a beautiful way to describe it and a beautiful experience and how fortunate you are to have that experience. And it reminds me of just one final point that I took away from how you describe how you've navigated this, which is that you, you shared that you're just as proud of your family as you are of your work. And I think that is so important because so many change makers make this artificial distinction between the two worlds. And oftentimes the work is the thing that they give the most to and that they're the most focused on to the detriment of, of everything else. And so I think it's so beautiful that you're able to step back and say, yes, I'm proud of my work. I'm proud of my contribution professionally, um, but I'm also proud of my family and proud of my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How beautiful is that? And what I'm sending out into the world. That all of that is my legacy. So let's shift gears to the work that we have done together over the years. And I'm not sure if you remember when we started, but it feels like it's been a couple of years, maybe yeah. more, that we've worked together through Mindful Techie and specifically to support the development team at WWF. And I'm wondering if you can just speak to what the impact of that work has been for you personally, because you've, you've been a part of the training that we've done. And what impact you've seen in terms of how the team is able to work as a result of the work we've done together? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to go. I'm happy to, to talk about that. Miko, I think what you especially, but also the others that you work with that you've brought to us, Ananda and Beth, really bring to us a balance. So we're, we've been talking a lot about balance. And I think that you bring a beautiful balance and humanity to the professional workplace. And I think that's what you have taught me and that's what you've taught our team. So mindful techie is perfect, right? Like you have the practical techie, how to wrangle your everyday tools to create more space and more energy in your professional life. So you can get, make more, I won't say get more done. I'll say make more impact. Yes. Um, 
And at the same time, bringing the mindfulness piece to take care of our souls so that if we're take caring of our, taking care of our souls, then we also have that space to make more impact in these organizations that are really important to the world. I really respect that about you. And it surprised me about you because I've been in this field for a long time. Part of the reason I chose professional life is because it's, shall we say, low, what's the low intensity, right? It's not the restaurant business. It's not the (laughs) entertainment business. (laughs) Everybody is in a nice, clean workspace. It's relatively quiet. My experience of professional life is keep the emotions at a low. Don't bring that to work. Lead kind of regardless of what's going on in your life. And, And you really brought this awareness to me and sensitivity that it is, that is okay to have emotions at work, that those emotions can feed your work or hamper your work. It is your business to be aware enough of them to see how that impacts you and the people around you. And I think in our, your work with our team, I think that you definitely brought that to the rest of the team, but more than that, we brought you in During the pandemic, we have a large team. We have 70 people. We have extreme extroverts to extreme introverts. And the whole range of comfort with being together, with being apart, with where are we now, with how do we connect, how do we not connect. And and the retreats that you've been able to facilitate with us have, have broken down the barriers to connection that people brought with their kind of their pandemic selves last September at the end of the day after you you and, and Beth and Ananda had facilitated a whole day for us it was our first time together we were really careful about social distancing and airflow and people on the people who couldn't attend who were had to attend hybrid and the inclusiveness, that you taught us and just the warmth that you bring. So I don't know that I've had a chance to thank you, but I do want to thank you for that. And that has really continued, right? Those people and the others in the office, our team, the development team is more present at World Wildlife Fund in person than most of the other teams in the organization. They, we just come to the office more often. We feel more comfortable. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that reflection. I, I wasn't aware of that. So I, that's, I, I appreciate that. And what a powerful reflection and a beautiful way to just share how the team has been impacted and how things are scaling for folks. As we wrap up here, is there anything more that you want to share that stands out to you in terms of the work that we've done together or the impact that you've seen on how the team is working together now? Yeah, I want to come back to this idea of inclusiveness, right? Yes. So World Wildlife Fund has really gotten, is, is really doing a beautiful job on the diversity, equity, and, and inclusion kind of milieu that has come up over the course of the pandemic with a number of the things that happened in that time period. And really, I think because it is more visible, focusing quite a bit on the diversity piece, but this idea of inclusion I think it's also important to the strength of the team 
feeling like what you say matters, feeling like you're at the table, feeling like you are cared about, which I think is ultimately what inclusiveness is all about. We are, because of how beautifully you handled the, just the example of how to include people, we are far more aware of, and it's more a part of our planning conversations. And when we, the leadership team is talking about how we include the lower level people on our teams, how we make sure we hear their voices. It's, it's a part of the conversation now all the time in a way that it had not been before we worked with you. So thank you for that too. You're very welcome. And it's, it's so interesting that you share that because that I think in a post-pandemic workplace, when we talk about hybrid and remote, I think that's one of the keys to a healthy culture, right? Sustaining a healthy culture, right? People don't feel connected because they're, we, we take for granted some of the things that perhaps came about organically in some ways that maybe we didn't give a lot of intentionality to when we were all in person. But yeah. when we're hybrid and when we're remote, those are things that actually require a bit more awareness and a bit more intentionality. And so I think it's so beautiful that you all are focused on those things. And at least from what I've observed, it sounds like it's made you all a stronger team and a stronger organization. And so I'm excited for that because it means that you all are, are in a position to actually do even greater work and have an even greater impact. Yeah. And the ultimate mission of what you're talking about, which is actually right. saving the world for all of us. Exactly. <laughs> that's a secret. That's not what the mission, that's not what the mission states. But when we talk <laughs> to each other about it, we're like, okay, I got to go save the world today. <laughs> we know that ultimately that's what we're attempting to do. It's no small feat. So for folks that are interested in staying connected, they're interested in learning more about you, about WWF, how can they stay connected? Where should they go? They can go to my LinkedIn profile if they'd like to. Mary, thank you so much for what it has been an exciting conversation. There are lots of nuggets there. We appreciate your vulnerability. We appreciate you sharing so deeply. I want to take a moment to tell you about a live virtual program to help change makers like you take better care of yourself while creating a positive impact in the world. It's a live virtual two-day interactive experience designed to help you increase your well-being so you can increase your well-doing. This retreat focuses on practices and strategies connected to the change framework for well-being while well-doing from my latest book, How to Thrive When Work Doesn't Love You Back. The framework addresses the U.S. Surgeon General's five essentials for workplace mental health and well-being. Learn more at mindfulchangemaker.org slash retreat. Again, that's mindfulchangemaker.org slash retreat. During the retreat, we tackle the inner work of things such as guilt about not being able to always get it all done, fear of setting boundaries, the anxiety of imposter syndrome, and adjusting to the world of hybrid work, among other things. We'll also tackle the outer work of things such as setting intentional goals, effective priority setting, especially when everything seems urgent and important, setting and protecting boundaries, and making space to rest and recharge in a sustainable way. When you sign up, you get support from a community of smart, heart-centered change makers just like you 
and also one year of unlimited access to video lessons, handouts, and an invitation to return to any of the live monthly retreat sessions we host. Learn more at mindfulchangemaker.org retreat. That's mindfulchangemaker.org retreat. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dear Mindful Changemaker podcast. Are you ready to finally prioritize your well-being so you can increase your impact in changing the world? Join the Mindful Changemaker community and take the next step on your journey to increase your well-being while well-doing. It's 100% free when you join at mindfulchangemaker.org slash join. Again, that's mindfulchangemaker.org slash join. Until next time, I'm Miko Marquette Whitlock. Take it one intentional moment at a time.